she's in California. I'm going to meet her. I'm actually driving to California next, uh, or right after I preach tonight. I'm getting in the car and uh, um, driving all the way there. Not through the night. I'm stopping somewhere. But uh, um, then we'll be reunited. And I love my wife. She is, she is uh, of course, everything to me. Uh, thinking back of, of when, uh, when we first started dating, and uh, I sat all the way the, in the back of, of history class. We met in college. She's from California. I'm from Maine. And we met in the, in the, in the back of, of history class. I was, I was super shy. I didn't I actually took history, and I don't, I, I don't understand where my logic was in this. I was 18. And the older I get, the more I realize at 18 how little logic I actually had. And uh, I sat all the way in the back because I thought that history, there would be more guys that would take it than girls. And I was super, super shy. I didn't want, you know, I was scared of girls. And I liked them, but I just was scared of them. And uh, I sat all the way in the back, and she said something to me and made my face blush. I mean, it was just high. That was it. But uh, um, anyway, the rest is history. We ended up getting married. But uh, we, we, that was a pun. Is it history class? Rest is history. We, uh, no, thank you. No, no, it's okay. No, it's okay. We'll just keep going. I shouldn't have even said something. I should have just kept on going right through. We, uh, uh, I remember we did, we, we dated uh, a little bit off and on throughout college. My junior and senior year, we dated, then we did long distance. And I was actually finishing up school here at Champion, and she was out in California teaching high school. And uh, we got engaged, and the, and the way my plan was, now when I tell you my plan, you're going to go, wow, that, that is, that's really neat or romantic. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. And, uh, but I didn't end up doing this. I wanted to fly her to Maine, which we did, I didn't end up doing. Flew her all the way to Maine. I was going to meet her on a connecting flight, but not tell her and be in, you know, be in the same plane and propose to her on the plane. Because I knew that she knew that it was coming, that she was going to get engaged in Maine, but I wanted to surprise her. That didn't end up working out. But... I had a, a friend of mine, my dad pastors a church in Maine, and my friend worked in the Coast Guard and actually had the keys to get into any lighthouse down the northeast uh, uh, coast. And so uh, we got engaged in, at Portland Headlight. Anyone know what Port, Portland Headlight is? No one, not one person in the entire auditorium raised their hand. It is the most photographed lighthouse in the world. I could lie to you, and you wouldn't know, because uh, you don't know where it is. <laughs> But uh, it is, it's, a, it's one of the most photographed lighthouses in the world, so it's a beautiful setting. Anyway, we, we, uh, my dad is, he is one of the most, no- I love him to death, but he is one of the most nosy people in the entire world. And uh, it was, uh, uh, you just laughed, is your dad the same way? No, <laughs> just kidding, I want to get you in trouble. Uh, we, um, uh, we got there, the, the, long story short, the planes came in later than they were supposed to come, so it was pitch black, I think it was like one in the morning. When uh, she flew in, she was asleep. My parents drove her to Portland Headlight. I drove myself to Portland Headlight. We met up at 1 in the morning. I opened the car door where she was in. I said, hey. And, you know, she, was, she looked beautiful. Hair was, you know, because she was sleeping. And I said, hey, uh, can I take you for a walk? And she said, yeah. So we, we opened the gate, and it's about a, a half a mile walk to the lighthouse uh, when you go in the gate. But it's, it, was, it was pitch black. Well, my dad thought that I wouldn't see him. But it was almost a full moon. You could still see pretty good. He was following about 20 yards back, and uh, we're walking together. And as I'm looking over my shoulder, my dad is following me, you know, to this place where we'd set up tiki torches and had strawberry uh, shortcake and all that kind of deal. Was, you know, it was pretty neat. But uh, as we walked there, and this is just like a cartoon. When I, when, I, when I tell you this, this is not a preacher's exaggeration. This is exactly how it looked. 
as I'm proposing, I'm pouring my heart out to my wife and telling her how much I love her, I can see in my peripheral vision my dad peeking through the bushes like this. <laughs> the whole time. It's impossible. You can't be sweet to this guy. I mean, it was just, it was, it was crazy. But I remember getting on my knee and asking her. I was, I had a long time ago finally mustered up the courage to ask her out. And I initiated the relationship. And then I initiated the, uh, the, the engagement. And then that, that day that we got married, I, I, she came forward and I came down and I initiated and I got her to come up with me. And then we were happily married. And of course, we will be, we'll celebrate seven years, December 29th. We need a whole lot more of men that will initiate relationships. Men need to be the initiators in a relationship. And one of the major problems, not that this isn't my sermon, but one of the major problems in America is we need men to just kind of step up and be men and be initiators and, 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 and lead under the leading of God, not, not in an abusive way, but lead their families. You know, Jesus did the same thing for us. He initiated a relationship a long time ago. The Bible says uh, in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It's the same. We are likened to the the bride. We're the bride of Christ. Christ is the husband. He initiated a relationship with us. Everything that we do is a response to that relationship. It's a response. Think about it for a second. Repentance is a response that's on on, on your worship guide. Repentance is a response. When we repent, it's a response to what Jesus did for us. Uh, uh, Holiness is a response to what Jesus did for us. Giving is a response to what Jesus did for us. We give to Jesus because he gave to us. We don't give to him so that he will give to us. We give because he gave. Uh, A prayer is a response. Jesus gave us a book full of his words to us. We pray to him. It's a response for what he has done for us. Worship, this morning as we were singing uh, the Revelation song, that was a response to Jesus. We worship him because he loved us. He, he loved us. I mean, I mean, we love him because he, what, first loved us. Our Christian life is to be lived as a response to what Jesus did for you and me. It's a response. The whole thing, if we could get, if I could get this foundational thought here and we could get it clear and settled in our minds and realize that the reason why you might be frustrated in your Christian life and you're, you're obsessing over, that, over that, that perfect prayer life or that perfect time of worship or that perfect time and you, you, you want it so bad, it could all be fixed if it, instead of you searching after that, you searched after the initiator. The person that gave you everything. We're here, guys, it's Christmas time. And with the hustle and bustle of the season and getting gifts for this person, getting gifts for that person, and, 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 and this person gave me a Christmas card, and so now I need to make sure I give them a Christmas card. And, and all the things that come along with this season, if we could get the thought that Jesus Christ came to earth and lived a perfect life for you, that was him initiating a relationship with you. It's our job to respond to that. So many of us work so hard at being a Christian or work so hard at having a good walk with God. 
And if we spent more time meditating on the fact that God sent his only son, even though we were undeserving, we had, we, w- w- there was nothing that we could have done to deserve it. He did it anyway. That man came and lived 33 and a third sinless years for you and me and initiated a relationship. Whether or not you respond or not, he still did it. That prayer life might come a little bit easier. That walk with God might come a little bit easier. That perfect Christian life that we obsess about it, that we want, and we come to church and we try to fill in all the checks and all the blanks and do everything and say, God, will you finally accept, accept me? He already accepted you. It's our job to respond in love for his love for us. Jesus did that for us. We are to respond to him. What we need in the church is a whole lot less obedience and a whole lot more initiation. Now, don't get me wrong. We need a whole lot more obedience. There's a lot of disobedient Christians. I myself, at times, am a disobedient Christian. But instead of me focusing on the disobedience and I need to obey more, I need to obey more if I focus on the cross, if I focus on Jesus and what he did for me, that obedience would be a byproduct and it'd be a so whole lot much easier to obey God when you think about what he did for you. Christianity isn't, hey, you want to go to heaven? Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, say this, do this. No, 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 no. It's a response and going, wow, God, I need to repent because of what you did for me. You didn't have to do that for me. I am going to respond to you. So this morning in Genesis chapter 48, I, I, I needed to preach a Christmas, Christmas message. So I went in, my, uh, in my, my, my commentary and I looked up Christmas and I saw, I just went through the names. There's a lot of names, Mary, there's uh, Jesus, there's the shepherds. And so I picked Joseph. I saw that Joseph was one. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 48 talking about Joseph. And uh, it's a different Joseph. Okay, different Joseph that we're going to be talking about this morning. So, but it is a Christmas message. What I love about the Bible is I don't need to get the Christmas message out of the New Testament. I don't need to, I I can get the, the Christmas message out of the Old Testament. There's a portal from the Old Testament looking into the future of what Jesus Christ, what God was going to do for us. And now that we live past the New Testament, we can look back through a portal and see what Jesus Christ already did for us. So this morning, we're going to take a kind of a reverse view. We're going to look at the Old Testament and look into and see what Jesus did for us. And he paints a perfect picture here in Genesis chapter 48. It's uh, the the story is going to be about Joseph, but really it's going to be about his two sons a little bit more along the line. But I'm going to set up the foundation. And just in case you don't know who Joseph is uh, or you're confused on which Joseph I'm talking about this morning. This is the Joseph that was the son of Jacob. Jacob met uh, this beautiful woman a long time before this, a a girl named Rachel, okay? He saw this girl, he says, my goodness, this girl, it looks absolutely gorgeous, she's beautiful, I want to marry her. So he goes to her her dad, Laban, and says, "Uh, uh, sir, I want to marry your daughter, she's beautiful, I love her, Uh, she's the one for me. He says, really? He says, yeah, he says, I'll do anything for her, he says, anything? He says, yeah, I'll do anything for her, okay, why won't you work for me for seven years? So Laban makes 
Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob works seven years for his wife, and we know the story. Wedding day, the veil comes off. Ah, it's not really uh, Rachel. It's actually Leah, the ugly one. Sorry for any Leahs that we have in here. And uh, uh, he says, oh, tricked you. Now you've got to work seven more years to get Rachel. So he works 14 years, marries this girl, Rachel, has two sons with Rachel, Benjamin and... Joseph, Joseph, there you go, okay? And Leah, he has a whole lot more sons, so there's this big brotherhood. Got a bunch of these brothers, Reuben, Judah, um, a bunch of others, okay? So they're all living together. Now, Joseph was the highly favored one. He wasn't the oldest son in the family, but he was the most favored son. Uh, Jacob uh, one day made him a coat, right? You all remember the coat, coat of many colors? And he has this coat, and, 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 and he was also, he had a little bit of a problem. He had, he, well, not a problem, but he, he was a dreamer, but he didn't have a whole lot of discretion. That would be probably maybe his problem. And one day he goes to his brothers and he says, hey, I got a dream. They say, well, hold on. He says, well, just gather around the, 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 the breakfast table here. And he, he, uh, they get out the cinnamon and they get out the oatmeal and the raisins. And they're talking. He says, hey, get this. Check this out, brothers. You're going to love this. He said, I had a dream. And in this dream, there's a bunch of sheaves. I was a sheave. You were a sheave. There were my brother's sheaves. And, and y'all sheaves bowed down to my sheave. Isn't that awesome? So in my dream, you bowed down to me. And they said, well, that's awesome. Then the next day, they come around and say, I got another dream. This is awesome. It's even better. There was planets and stars were all bowing down to me. And they, so his brothers didn't really like Joseph. You get the picture, okay? They didn't really like Joseph. One day, Joseph uh, 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 is, is sent by his dad, Jacob, to go out into, uh, to find his brothers who are working in the field. Once again, Joseph is favored. He doesn't have to do the manual labor. He doesn't have any calluses on his hands. And his, his dad says, I want you to take some meals, take some, take some food, and I want you to take a message to your brothers that are working. And he walked about a day's journey, gets to his brothers. His brothers see him coming. They go, oh, my goodness, here comes, here comes MC Dreamer. You know, here comes the master of dreams. I don't know. If we, here he comes. I tell you what, let's kill him. We're going we're gonna to kill Joseph. And they said, well, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we should just throw him in a pit and pretend that he's dead. So they throw him in a pit. They rip off his coat. They kill a, a goat, and they spill the blood all over his coat. And they, then, then uh, uh, Judah decides, why don't we just sell him off into slavery? We can make some money. Let's just sell him off to slavery. A caravan comes through. They sell him off to slavery. He goes off to Egypt. And now Joseph is all by himself, alone in Egypt. He shows up. Potiphar, just as fate would have it, is the captain of Pharaoh's guard, he sees Joseph and says, man, that is a good-looking kid, looks sharp, looks strong, looks like he's got character. He hires him. He says, I'm, you're going to work for me. So, so Joseph works for Potiphar. And he does such a great job, Potiphar ends up making him in charge of Pharaoh's estate. He, he's, he's like second in, second in charge in Potiphar's household. And then Potiphar has a wife. We don't know Potiphar's wife's name. All we know is her as Potiphar's wife, right? And Potiphar's wife, she is, she's got a problem. Okay, uh, she liked Hebrew boys and she could not lie. And she went after Joseph. And when she went after Joseph, she, she said, hey, lay with me. She says, Joseph, I'm not tired. He says, no, 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 you lay with me. He says, I'm not all about that. Whoa, 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 whoa. She grabs onto his coat. Joseph runs out of the room. The coat is taken off. Now she's standing there. There's been a big commotion. The servants come running in. He, she's got the coat in his hand. She said, what happened? He says, well, Joseph, he tried to get with me. And I'm not all about that. And so uh, the Potiphar comes home and he comes over to Joseph. He says, what is wrong with you? He says, I didn't do anything. He says, doesn't matter. I'm throwing you in prison. So he throws him in prison. And we know the story then takes place. There's a baker and there's a butler, right? 
Baker and Butler. And so uh, the Baker and Butler, they have dreams. And Joseph says, you know, I'm pretty good with dreams. Once you, uh, once you uh, hit me up, I'll, t- t- I'll tell you about your dream. So the Baker, I'm sorry, the Butler says, I had this dream. He tells him the dream. He says, man, three days is going to be all good, brother. You are going to walk on out of here a free man. And the Baker says, really? I had a dream too. Let me tell you. He says, yeah, tell me your dream. He says, you're going to die. Three days. It's over. Sure enough, uh, Baker dies. Butler, he gets out. And he says, he's ascending on his way back to, to be the Butler of Pharaoh. Joseph says, please remember me. Well, of course he didn't remember him. Years later, Pharaoh has a dream. He's trying to talk to his soothsayers and his snake people and, and all the other people that he had. And they can't figure out the dream. And then, ding, you know, the butler's like, ah, I, you know what? I know a guy. It's been two years, but he's my main man. When we bring him up, he says he's down in prison. He's pretty good with dreams. He told me about my dream. He was right. So they bring him up. Now, about this time, you know, Joseph's beard's probably about three or four feet long. He looks pretty bad. They shave him up, clean him up, put him some, give him some, you know, Egyptian mascara and a headdress. And uh, they bring him in and Pharaoh says, let me tell you my dream. He says, uh, seven fat years, seven, or seven, uh, seven cows, fat years, seven, this, and he says, oh yeah, I got it. No problem. Seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt and across the other lands, and then seven years of famine. And uh, uh, Pharaoh says, okay. He says, I got an idea. Joseph says, I got an idea. Why don't you store up food for seven years, and then for the seven years of famine, we'll have enough. He says, oh, I like this guy. So he takes off his ring and makes him second in command of all of Egypt. Unbelievable. Joseph's like, oh my goodness, this is great. This is awesome. I can't believe what God is doing in my life. Now, of course, seven years later, Jacob and his family, the brothers, they're all still alive. They think Joseph's dead. They don't know what's going on. And they've run out of food. Jacob looks at his sons and says, why don't you guys get off uh, your rear end and uh, get moving. I know we don't have any food, but go, go down to Egypt. And I heard there's a guy there that has stored up a bunch of food. Maybe they'll let us have some. They head there. Of course, they, they walk in. Joseph's in the room. He sees his brothers. He's surprised, but they can't recognize him because he's got makeup on. And, and so when they, they bring him in, they says, hey, he says, can we have some food? He says, you know what? Tell me about you. He says, well, we had this younger brother. Well, I mean, we had a younger brother. We don't know what happened to him. But then we have another younger brother, Benjamin. They says, well, bring your brother, Benjamin. Prove to me that you are who you are. He, they said, well, we can't really do that. If we go, we're going to leave. Our dad's going to wonder what's going on. So forth. Long story short, they throw coins in their bag, uh, gold cups in their bag, and, and Joseph accuses them of stealing. And they said, we didn't steal. He says, yeah, you steal. Your thieves. He says, no, we didn't steal. Finally, Joseph can't take it anymore. He rips off his headdress, wipes off his makeup, and says, it's me, guys. It's Joseph. And they get together, and they're all happy, one big happy family. So that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 48. Everyone good on who Joseph is? We good? Okay. All right. So we pick up the story. Joseph is now older, obviously. Family is back together. Jacob is getting older in years. He's about to pass off the scene. In fact, servant comes in and tells Joseph here in verse 1, he says, hey, your daddy's sick. It's, it's time. So he knew that it was time, and so there was a custom that Joseph would have his grandfather bless his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh is the older son. Ephraim is the younger son. Look at me. Look with me. In, uh, don't look at me. Look at the Bible. Uh, look at verse number one. It says, And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. This is a custom. 
This is huge. Just how big Christmas morning traditions are to us. I mean, this is one of the traditions that's big. It's, 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 a, it's a huge family ordeal. Grandfather is about to pass off the scene. Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be brought in. And this is huge. Brings him in and I can imagine Ephraim as, as he walks in, he, he's thinking, man, this is just great. I'm the younger son. I'm just really honestly just a part of the process. Manasseh is the older son. Ephraim is the younger son. I actually switch him around here because as Joseph brings him in, he brings, he brings Ephraim in on his left-hand side. He brings Manasseh in on the right-hand side because Jacob is facing him. And he's going to bring Manasseh to, his, to, I'm sorry, Manasseh to his right and, and Ephraim to Jacob's left. You can imagine Ephraim thinking to himself, this really isn't fair. Daddy, what? please, can I have the double portion? Please, can I have the blessing? Please, can I have the inheritance? I've been a good kid. I've, I've done everything. I wouldn't even be here if I wasn't, if I wasn't a, a, a good kid. I know I'm not going to get the double blessing, but why can't I have the double blessing? I mean, it's like the right hand is like double blessing, portion, inheritance. Everything is awesome. Man, you are great. And left hand is like, yeah, you, you you too, buddy. Hey, how are you doing? I can imagine Joseph saying, well, you're born wrong. Ain't really your fault, I guess. You were born after Manasseh. Sorry. You don't get it. You don't get the double portion. You don't deserve the double portion. It's not even necessarily of anything that you've done with your hands, but you were born that way. Hey, no matter how good you are, no matter what you've done in your life, let me tell you something. You were born wrong. I was born wrong. I was born with a sin nature. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You were born wrong. There is nothing you can do. There's no amount of ladies you can cross the street. There's no amount of good works that you can do. There's no amount of, of giving to charity or, or at Christmas time giving all of your money or, or whatever you possibly could do or not sinning. You are not good enough. You were born wrong. I wish I could tell you something different, I guess. I wish this morning I could say, man, if you try really hard, if you can outwork 90% of the human race and be better than them, you will deserve the second bless or, the, or, or double portion. You'll deserve the blessing. You'll deserve the inheritance. But you don't. You were born wrong. Jesus was born right. Jesus was born right. Manasseh is a picture of Jesus in this story the older son. He's the deserving son. He's the one that is going to get the double blessing. He is going to get the inheritance. Why? Because he deserves it. It wouldn't have mattered if Ephraim did anything else different than Manasseh. Manasseh deserves it. Ephraim does not deserve it. He was born wrong. The Bible says, in sin did your mother conceive you. I did not have to teach my five-year-old daughter at any age, how to lie. This, uh, the week before, they left Wednesday to go to California. I'll meet up with them later on this week. The week before that, Jocelyn has, she's my five-year-old daughter, Jocelyn has lied to me before, but never of this uh, 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 magnitude. I mean, this last week, we, it was like shocking. 
uh, we have, we've been raising a litter of nine yellow lab puppies. And uh, uh, Jocelyn kind of helps out every once in a while with it. And we have this whelping box where they kind of stay and stay warm and sleep and, and do other things that puppies do uh, in there. And, and uh, we take them out a couple of times a day, of course, to feed them. We never feed them in the, in, the, in the whelping box, in the box there. We feed them outside. I come in from work one day, and there's, and there's a, like a bunch of dog food in the, in the whelping box. My first thought was, this is Jocelyn. Had to be her. I mean, it's, it's her. She's got to be the one to do it. So I walked in her room. She was playing with her, her toys or dolls or tigers or whatever she plays. And I, and I said, hey, uh, Jocelyn, I said, did you, throw, did you throw dog food in the whelping box? This is no joke. She looks at me, and she goes, no. I said, oh. And it kind of shocked me because usually when she's lying, there's a telltale sign or whatever. She straight face looked at me and said, no. So my first reaction was like, oh, okay, that was pretty good. So I, I went in with another question. I said, are you sure? Are you lying to me? No. She goes, no. I promise, Daddy. <laughs> I did not throw any food in the, in the, in the box. Well, she had never lied like that before. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. She can't be lying. So I went and talked to my wife. I said, I said did you throw dog, dog food in the whelping box? She says, no, I didn't. I said, are you lying to me? No. I, could, I didn't know who it was and what was going on. And finally, I had to go back to her, and I, I had to lie to her. I had to say, I know that you did it. Did you throw dog food in the whelping box? Am I going to get a timeout? <laughs> I didn't have to teach her that. I didn't sit her down one day and say, Jocelyn, no, I'm going to teach you how to lie. The best way to do it is with the straightest face possible. And no matter what, never give in. Just keep on lying until you get through it. I didn't have to teach her that. She learned it on her own human nature. She's cute, adorable. She's got the greatest smile. I love cuddling her. Her cheeks are nice and chubby. I like that. But you know what? She's a rotten, evil sinner. Just like all of us, deep down, we've got the sin nature inside of us. It doesn't have to be taught. You were born wrong. It's inside of you. There's no amount of good, no amount of filthy rags of righteousness that you could try to perform yourself. Inside of you dwells no good thing. You were born wrong. Ephraim, sorry, buddy. You're on the left. Manasseh's on the right. There's nothing that you can do to change that in of your own power. Then we look at verse number uh, eight. We'll read part of the story here. It says, And Israel beheld Joseph his sons. Who are these? Joseph said unto his father, These are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. So about to get the double portion. Now the eyes of Israel. When we say Israel, does everyone know who we're talking about? It's another name for Jacob. So Jacob and Israel in this story are going to be interchangeable. So when I say Israel, I mean Jacob. When I say Jacob, I mean Israel, and I mean both. Okay? Now the eyes of Israel, Jacob, were dim for age so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. Lo, God has showed, shown me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand and uh, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. You can cut the atmosphere with a knife. Here it is. 
Manasseh is about to get the double portion. Jacob's going to pass off the scene and, and there's going to be a new generation to start. But something happens. Verse number 14, And Israel, Jacob, stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Joseph can't believe it. He's looking at what's happening and he's saying, this can't be right. Wait, wait, what's going on? You're, you're messing this up. This is not how it's supposed to happen. This has got to be some kind of scandal here. What, what, what are you doing? And he's, Dad, I, I knew you were blind, but I didn't know you were that blind. I knew you were old, but you're that old. What are you doing right now? You're messing up the perfect order. You're messing up what is fair. This is not fair. In fact, in verse number 17, it says, When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it what? It displeased him. And he held up the father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head. He goes in for the hand and, and goes to reach to grab the hand off of, of, of Ephraim and say, What are you doing, Dad? And Joseph said unto his father, verse 18, Not so, my father. Not so. You can't do this. This is not fair. This is not supposed to be how it goes. Earthly merit, in your notes, earthly merit teaches us we get what we deserve. This is not by the rules of the earth. The system is not supposed to work this way. You get what you deserve. What is the scream of humanity? Equality. Fairness. Get what's mine. I worked for this. I get this. It's how the system works. It's the only way that we as humans know how to operate. I'm going to be honest with you. If I do some work here, I expect to get a paycheck. I did this. I get what I deserve. The wages of sin is what? Death. If you sin, you deserve death. Ephraim, you're the youngest. You don't deserve the double blessing. Manasseh, you're the oldest. You were born first. You get it. You are going to get the blessing. And then the arms switch and cross. And Joseph says, no, this cannot be happening. Not so, my Lord. Earthly merit teaches us we get what we deserve. But God's grace teaches us the opposite. It teaches us that we don't get what we deserve. Thank God. There was a day on Calvary when God's hands were stretched, but before they stretched, they crossed. And I didn't get what I deserved, even though that I sinned and I was the younger son and I didn't deserve the inheritance and I didn't deserve the blessing. God crossed his arms and switched me with Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't get what he deserved. I didn't get what I deserved. God's grace stepped in and switched the hands and I became Manasseh. It was the initiation. It was the start of a relationship. Jesus Christ said, I know you don't deserve this. God says, I know you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give you my son. And on Christmas Day, he gave us Jesus. He lived 33 and a third sinless years. died on a cross, 
for you and for me so that we could have salvation and so we could live a victorious life. Joseph, think about this for a second. The reason why I told the long story, kind of a funny story or whatever, is because you look at Joseph's life, did Joseph get what he deserved? Wasn't the oldest son, but he was the most favored. Sold off into slavery, didn't get what he deserved. God gave him dreams, made him second in command of all of Egypt. He didn't deserve that. Now Joseph is bringing in the next generation and so quickly he's forgotten. Not so, my Lord. This is not fair. Oh, I'm sorry, Joseph. Let's talk about fair. Speaking to two different people today. My prayer is that if you are an unbeliever in here this morning, if if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, man, I, my, my prayer is, when I say, I say that you haven't accepted Jesus Christ yet, because my prayer and our prayer here at Gospel Light is that you would accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and, and get what you don't deserve. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve a relationship with Christ. But our prayer is that you would accept him and that you would, you would, you would become Ephraim. But then I'm also talking to the believers this morning. It's funny after salvation, get salvation, thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. I've got it from here. And then we go into this judgmental spirit and start making sure that other Christians who don't don't work as hard as we do or don't follow the law as much as we do and don't do this and don't do that. Not so, Lord. Why are you blessing them? I'm sorry, are you deserving? Yeah, but I've lived a long life. I've, I, I'm, I'm Joseph. I'm second in command of all of Egypt now. I've, I've worked my way up. Oh, you worked your way up. You know what's fair? The Christian life is not fair. Ask Jesus Christ if it was fair for him to go to the cross. Peter and John, at the end of Peter's life, if you remember, Peter talks to Jesus and, and Jesus says, you're going you're gonna to die for me? And what is the first thing that he says? He looks at John, the beloved, and he says, what about him? Is he going to have to die for you? Jesus says, what is that to you? If you love me, what does it matter what everyone else has to do? Guys, I'm done. I'm finished. I promise But if you could get this thought, if you have not accepted Christ, my prayer is that you would accept Christ, that you would become a believer and that you would accept the fact that what Jesus done. And I know that you may be thinking, you do. There's no way Jesus can save me. You don't know the life I've lived. You don't know what I've done in my past. It doesn't matter. Because guess what? The good news is it's not fair. God decided for whatever reason I could go my, do my best to go through Scripture and all I can come up with at the end of reading the entire good news is It's scandalous. Jesus did something for us that we didn't deserve. He sacrificed his son. You're going to ask me if I'll sacrifice my daughter for you? The answer is no. Every time, 100%. There's never a time where I go, well, I don't know. Maybe. 
No, I'm not sacrificing my only child for you. I don't know why God did it. I know what he did, and I know what it did for us, but he first loved us. It's our job to respond to that. My hope and prayer is that if you are an unbeliever, that you would respond today to the love of Christ. But then also my prayer is, guys, those of us who have been in the, the show for a while, worked our way up, we're now Christians of a decade, two decades, five years, ten years, one year, and we start to think of ourselves as something. The only reason why we're here is because God switched his arms. We didn't get what we deserved. Don't forget that this Christmas season. Don't forget what God did for you. Struggling with your prayer life, struggling with your Christian life, wanting to do more, go back to meditating on what Jesus did for you. He loves you. This morning, he loves you. I can't explain it. I don't don't know why Jacob switched his arms, except for the fact that he was showing something that was going to happen thousands of years down the road. Something that also didn't make any sense. Jesus sent his only son for you. I would question myself this morning. If I was struggling in my prayer life, if I was struggling in my walk with God, or if I was struggling with that sin that so easily besets you over and over and over again in a repetitious way, if you're having a problem with repentance, if you're having a problem with all those things, I would question myself, am I looking at Jesus? I didn't see physically Jesus die on the cross for me. But I have a Bible that can paint that picture. If I read what Jesus had to suffer after he didn't do anything, there's a lyric in a Christmas song that I like. It talks about baby Jesus, and it says, Tiny heart whose blood will save us. That little baby Jesus, so innocent and so sweet, and that innocence, by the way, of that baby carried all the way till he was 33 and a third years old. The same innocence. So if you could picture for a second a baby Jesus whose tiny heart is pumping blood, so innocent, so sweet. Those of you who have had children, had a baby, and held a baby in your arms, and you see that innocence, that innocence was slaughtered on a cross, and blood spilt out for you, me. Why? We didn't deserve it. We were born wrong. When I think about that, I want to pray. Brother Butch, I want to open my Bible. I want to do right. I want to obey. I want to give. I want to become the the, the person that God wants me to be. And it's all because I'm responding to what Jesus did for us. Do you have a spirit of response this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.